amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. This is Wheels Up. Hi there, it's Mark Robertson, our podcast that focuses on the unusual stories coming from the airlines, airplanes, the people who work there, and those of us who fly. We are joined once again by our friend Jay Ratliff, iHeartRadio's airline expert and former airline executive. Hello, Jay. Good day to you. Good day. We've got a lot of stories. You know, when, when we started this series, part of the, the appeal to me was finding the more unusual stories. And w- the first show we did together, the first podcast, was when that guy was dragged down the plane because the flight was overbooked and he wouldn't leave his seat. And, right. And so we've had no shortage of offbeat stories since then. And today is no exception. We have the return of Jetpack Man. <laughs> Yes, you know, I've been doing these uh, aviation reports for 30 years as of February, and I don't think, and many of them I'll do on a daily basis, and I remember thinking back then, gee, is there going to be enough that's going (laughs) to actually fill up every single day? And I find myself trying to choose from many stories, but this one was an easy one. Yes. Because we we had this China Airlines flight coming into Los Angeles, 6,000 feet, they're on approach, when all of a sudden, whoosh, something flies by them. And when you listen to the audio on this air traffic controller back and forth, mm-hmm. the China Airlines crew is saying, look, something just buzzed by us. It appeared to be a, a guy in a jetpack. So this is the second time in two months where we've had, I believe it was September 1st, right. and then right. this past week, yeah. where this image, whatever it was, passed by this China Airlines flight at 3,000 feet. The last time it happened, uh, there was an American, a Southwest flight, and JetBlue that were on approach into LAX. They were at 3,000 feet. About That would put them about 10 miles out. And they had the same thing. Uh, crew member after crew after airplane after airplane after airplane was telling air traffic control, yep, he just passed us, he just passed us. He, You know, something was up there. And, of course, you have the security threat. You have the idiot threat. I mean, there's a lot of different things you're worried about. Because the crews are up there, you know, the, the most critical time of, of any flight is the arrival and departure. Mm-hmm. And when you when you have an aircraft that's on, on approach into any airport, especially, I don't know, a major international airport, you've got a lot of things going on. And the last thing you want to do is throw a curveball at the flight crew. You, you don't want to have a bunch of birds. You don't want to have a drone. You don't want to have another aircraft. Oh, and by the way, yes, we don't want to have a guy on a jetpack. So... The FBI and the Federal Aviation Administration is looking into this to see exactly what it could have been. Uh, The idea of it at 3,000 feet last month, I thought, okay, that's possible. Most of the jetpacks that are flying around these days, and you can get your own jetpack for about 300 grand if you want one, uh, they fly for about 10 minutes. They can go up to 15,000 feet. The problem is you don't have enough fuel to get up there and then get back safely. It would be, well, I would say a one-way trip, but it would come down, I guess. (laughs) But, yeah, you can check out jetpackaviation.com. It's a website I love because, look, I've always wanted a jetpack since I was a kid. 
but I don't have an extra 300 grand sitting around that I go, you know, I think I can uh, fulfill a childhood fantasy by strapping one of these bad boys on and, and taking off. So, yeah, right now we don't know what it was in and out of Los Angeles. Um, there's a lot of questions, especially when you get up to 6,000 feet, uh, how someone could get to that altitude, remain at that altitude, be seen by a flight crew, and then drop back. But, um, look, anything is possible. And I remember when the three uh, planes were reporting in at uh, the Los Angeles Air Traffic Control Tower, the last pilot, after the two previous ones had reported it, uh, it was a JetBlue, I believe, he just said, uh, you know, anything can happen in L.A. or only in L.A., yeah. something along those lines. That was where- it, yep. Yep, where they're just, you know, it's like, what, what what now? Just crazy types of things. So, yeah, I guess we had a UFO uh, outside of the Los Angeles International Airport because right now it's un- unidentified. Well, what amazes me is that uh, when the first one happened, which was, as you said, September 1st, I can't mm-hmm. believe that there wasn't an effort to identify this guy or at least find him, and they still don't know who it is. Well, they did. It's, it's like trying to find a drone. You have the reports of what happened. You know where it happened. But absent of seeing where it came up or came down, you really don't know where to isolate the search. Mm-hmm. If we knew approximately where the point of origin was, hey, you know, we've got security cameras, we've got a lot of things that we can try to focus in on to see what's going on. Now, look, I, you know, I'm having a lot of fun with this story because, you know, nobody got hurt. But the security side of me says, wait a minute, I, I mean, are these tests for something? And the more I'm thinking about this, the more I look at it, I suspect it's probably a drone, but I don't know. You know, it's just because when you when you follow the jetpack industry, as I do, and I follow it relatively close, mm-hmm. uh, most of these, you know, I remember the jetpacks that used to fly at the Super Bowl and at the Olympics where the guy had the little two silver tube, silver helmet, up he went, but you could only fly for like 30 seconds on those things. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much it. And the latest jetpacks are just incredible. You go to YouTube and watch some of these things operate, uh, where the the guys flying around the you know Statue of Liberty or, or what have you. It's becoming more and more a thing of the present. But you know, six thousand feet. I I just don't know. And yeah, we'll keep an eye on it to see what sort of. Uh, facts the investigation uncovers are there that many companies that sell these i mean could they not track down the people that may have bought it and and maybe help to identify who this guy is they there's a handful uh jetpack aviation is the one in the united states and california and after the first round i mean that's immediately who the authorities went to and said look have you have you sold any of these to anybody And, and and they started talking with them and uh you know that's one of the reasons that they really didn't think it was any of their jetpacks and for a lot of the, the operational reasons you and I've already covered. Um, but, you know, it's they've they not really been able to, to find or track anybody through because most of the companies that produce them are saying, look, you know, there's not a lot of them out there that are in private hands. And outside of any identification marks, any pictures, anything like that, it really makes it difficult to find out uh, what the origin of this might might be. Yeah. Now, in each of those cases, Mark, it was, it was very clear that the people at the different jetpack companies around the world uh, added their suspicions to the reports as well, saying, look, you know, from, from an operational standpoint, what we're describing here is something that would be very, very, very difficult to happen given the current technology of the uh, – the jetpacks that are being manufactured. So, I mean, we'll, we'll wait and see. But, yes, if you've been looking for the Christmas gift that, uh, <laughs> you know, 
to give to somebody who has everything, yeah, Jetpack Aviation. That would be the <laughs> website to go to. Up in the up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's Jetpack Man. I have dropped that website on my wife, I know, at least 50 times. I'll bet you have. Saying, you know, yeah, she keeps dropping it back. <laughs> this is Wheels Up, our podcast about um, the unusual stories from the airline industry. I'm Mark Robertson. We're talking with uh, airline executive and iHeartRadio airline expert Jay Ratliff. Um, this is a really strange story. I mentioned this uh, on the air last week. This is a woman who is flying from, she's doing the red eye from um, Vegas to Detroit. And in the middle of the night, she wakes up because she feels something warm on one side of her. And she looks up and there's a man on the plane tinkling on her. The man mm-hmm. apparently is a pastor. And th- the strange thing was that they're saying they believe he had some kind of reaction to a, uh, um, an Ambien kind of drug. It could have been, and, and uh, you know, they're, they're saying some well-known pastor. We'll see where it goes from here. Yeah. But, you know, when, when you are in the sky, and this is, <laughs> I hate to say this is not the first time this has happened. Really? But it's happened. It, it's actually as though if you were to spit on someone or any other bodily fluid that you introduce into that kind of an environment, uh, it's considered a felony, yeah. or it could be considered a felony right. because it's almost an attack, mm-hmm. and it's putting other people at risk. Now, I don't know exactly where this investigation is going to go to and, and things of this nature. Of course, one of the things that they're going to look at, as they always do, was alcohol a factor here. Mm-hmm. They'll also see if there was any other reaction to medication, recreational or prescribed, that could have contributed to what was going on. They'll try to take accounts from people that are around, but look, if it's a red-eye flight, most everybody's going to be asleep, and not until the commotion takes place are people going to wake up to find out what's going on. There's no recording apparatus right now on commercial flights that would give us an idea of what might have happened, so it's pretty much the account of the woman and anything that the investigation uncovers they can pretty well try to piece together the timeline as far as what happened. Now, obviously, if she is sitting in this stuff for the duration of the flight, um, that's the evidence that they would need that, yes, something in fact happened. Mm -hmm. It's an idea of of how did it take place and go from there. But, I mean, we've had times where somebody had to go hit the lavatory, but the airplane was taxing, and uh, you'd have somebody jump up and run to the lavatory because, look, they just had to go. The problem is when you do that, the aircraft has to stop wherever it's at, and you many times will be removed from the airplane, meaning the aircraft is going to go all the way back to the gate. They're going to take you off the airplane uh, for your failure to abide by the flight crew's instructions about getting your butt back in the seat, and you've delayed the entire flight and everyone on board. So, And you could run the risk of that airline banning you from flying that carrier for the rest of your life, So, and other carriers joining in as well. So... You know, we've had those types of things, but and some of the others have been deliberate. This may not be deliberate. The investigation will have to see. So, yeah, there, there should be an interesting follow-up chapter on this particular story that we'll be able to talk about as, as we move forward. Well, she says she's grateful because when she started screaming, and I understandably, you know, kind of freaked her out, um, the person who woke up was an off-duty police officer, and she said in, in what I heard in the interview was that she felt grateful because he was able to back up what she was saying, and it wasn't like, you know, his word against her word. It was the cop said, yes, that's exactly what was happening. Well, when you have law enforcement uh, officers on board, those men and women are trained observers, they're, they're trained to report what they see, not what their brain tells them they're seeing. Uh, and those highly trained individuals come in very handy. 
many of them as they board the aircraft will tell the lead flight attendant, uh, look, if you need an extra set of hands, I'm military, I'm law enforcement, whatever, um, I'm seated here. If so, if you, if you need me, come and get me. And many times the flight crews turn to those men and women because, look, air marshals are on almost no flights, less than 5%. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times it's left up to the passengers to assist flight crews when it's needed. And uh, in this particular case, they were fortunate to have a law enforcement officer on board. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we've got two stories that both involve masks. They're both a little strange, to to me at least. The first one is this 75-year-old woman who is boarding a flight. She's going to the University of Washington for some medical treatment for pulmonary fibrosis, and she's wearing an N95 mask. And it's Alaska Airlines, which has a policy is if you don't wear the mask, you don't fly. And so she changes into apparently a much more restrictive mask, and they told her to take it off. Why would they do that? Well, it could have been it could have been for several reasons. I wasn't there to to see this, and the mm-hmm. reports that I've read don't give me all the information I need. But uh, yeah, the woman had the N95 mask on as she boarded, and then when she sat down, she put on that ventilator mask. Mm-hmm. Which, it looks kind of strange, and I don't know if you sound like Darth Vader when you're breathing through it or not, and it made other people feel uncomfortable, or what the, the genesis of the conversation was, but it basically led to the flight attendants uh, telling the passenger, look, you need to take that off and put the other one on. And she explained her medical condition. She was told the flight crew and, and the agents on board, look, I've been told to wear this because it's safer for me mm-hmm. given my medical condition. I'm not on vacation. I'm going to get medical treatment. But the problem was you're dealing with a lot of individuals who are very good at their job but, but know nothing about medical apparatus. Mm-hmm. So as a result, it's a judgment call. And so many times in this kind of situation, you have people digging their heels in, both the passenger and the agents or the flight attendants, and it becomes a I'll show you type of moment. And you have this this intense exchange back and forth where basically I'll show you, you know, you resist my authority to not do what I tell you. I'm going to get you kicked off this plane. And that's kind of the way a lot of these things go. The woman pleaded her case. She was removed by the airport security. She was even bruised a little bit on her arm in the process mm-hmm. as uh, she was escorted off the flight. Now, I've yet to hear if Alaska Airlines has offered up any sort of a watered-down apology But it really goes to show how we need to have some sort of federal guidelines from the Department of Transportation or the Federal Aviation Administration about what masks are or are not allowed to be worn. Mm -hmm. Because until we have those very clear guidelines, which is kind of funny when you think about the government issuing anything that's clear, but if we could get (laughs) some clear guidelines, maybe with the assistance of the medical field, we could then train the agents on what is acceptable and what's not so that we don't have all of this left up to individual perception and as far as their interpretation on, you know, what this is and what's not. If the flight crew's never seen this kind of mask, they may think, hey, this is something you made at home or you bought at a garage sale or, you know, something, you know, something along those lines instead of saying, look, this is a medically approved mask for this type of respiratory condition and it's designed to keep me safe. So we'll see where this goes, but Again, until we get those guidelines, it's a lot like the emotional support animals that we were dealing with last year and the year before, where you know everybody was bringing horses, monkeys, turkeys, peacocks, whatever, and the gate agents, those poor people, were forced to determine what is an emotional support animal and what's not. And it was last summer that the uh, DOT came out with their guidelines, which provided at least some consistency across the board, 
And really, that's what agents at airlines and the traveling public want. Just give us the guidelines. Let's make it consistent so it doesn't vary from airline to airline or, in some cases, agent to agent. Yeah, and I feel bad for the woman because she was traveling um, like four hours to get to her medical treatment, yeah. and she's now she's kicked off the plane, and she's got to you know go through the whole thing about you know I got to rebook, and it's just very inconvenient, and I think it's unfair. I could understand that if she put on a less restrictive mask, but she's yeah. putting on a more restrictive, and it's like they sh- they shouldn't really make a big deal out of it. I would think, but yeah, that's well they shouldn't. But then you know what if somebody says okay, I'm going to wear my hazmat suit from home. You know, okay, is that going to be too much? And is that outside the airline? You just don't know because, yeah, you know, I could see some people say, "Well, I'll show you. I'll put on my hazmat suit and you <laughs> know that for you know just just to I don't know try to quote prove a point yeah. end of quote type of thing." Yeah. So it, it's it's a tough position for airlines and agents to be in. Yeah, it is. Um, and then there's the other story involving masks, which I thought was really strange because it happened in the cockpit. Um, this is a, a captain tells the first, not the first mate, the first officer to put on his mask, and he doesn't want to. And apparently this is with, what, American? I think it's American Airlines. It was, it was American. American Airlines. And it's not mandatory for them to wear it in the cockpit. And I guess the captain pushes the point, and they remove him from the flight. Yeah, because what the policy for American and other carriers is that if you and I are, are flying in the cockpit on the flight deck, masks are not required because there have been times when masks can interfere with our duties as, as pilots. So as such, American and many other carriers say, look, if you want to wear a mask in the cockpit, you can. But it's, it's optional. It's not mandatory. So when the captain shows up for this particular flight, he's wearing his mask. He tells his first officer, look, I'd, I'd appreciate it if you wore your mask through the entire flight. First officer says, I don't want to because it's not required of me. And then it kind of gets back and forth. The captain calls flight control, which is their you know, in, in-house uh, flight management to team, and expresses his concern. And it gets to the point where they basically remove him from the flight, and they dock his pay as a result. Because basically the captain was trying to create his own company rule right there in the, on the flight deck, and that's simply something that you can't do. And that's not the first, but I think the second instance where we've had a, a crew member removed. Now, look, flight attendants obviously have to wear their masks. Um, anyone that working at the gate, any other employee, you'll see them wearing masks. But for pilots, that's not the case, and it really makes sense because if you and I are flying at you now 35, 40,000 feet, and there's a sudden decompression to the aircraft, mm-hmm. and again, above 10,000 feet, there's no oxygen. If that happens, you and I have about mm, 15 seconds of useful consciousness to immediately put on our oxygen mask so that we can begin to assess the problem, take that aircraft to a lower altitude so that we can basically try to, you know, see what's going on and, and solve the problem at hand. The issue is if you have those precious 15 seconds and then all of a sudden, okay, now i got to stop and take off this medical mask so that I can get my oxygen mask on, yeah. it wastes time. And when you're dealing with seconds, which many of these flight crews are, and they're, they're incredibly trained, uh, you don't want to throw something in there that could basically interfere with their ability to do what they need to do. And, and that certainly, it makes a great deal of sense. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But you don't hear about a captain being uh, removed from a flight or removed from service <laughs> because he's forcing the guy under him to wear a mask. But it's, well. Well, you know, we, we, we have moms with two-year-olds. Yeah. If, if the two-year-old's not eating fast enough. And, yeah. you know, Southwest had to kick the kid and the mom off because he was eating his gummy bears too slow. And I'm still waiting to find out 
how much time is required when I'm eating on board an airplane. <laughs> but, you know, to hear that, them being kicked off and then say now they're also kicking off pilots, I mean, what a, what a headline it makes. But if anything, it just makes me long for the days when we can get back to normal being normal once again. Yeah. One day. One day. Um, last story, and this is a quickie because this woman, what she did um, is pretty much what you've said all along. This is a flight attendant. Her name is Kat Kamalani, and she does a video on TikTok, and she's giving people information about the grossest parts of the airplane. And pretty much she said a lot of the same things you've told me over the past you know, several months. Uh, avoid touching, for example, the tray table. You should sanitize it, the little yeah. airflow control. But she also talks about not touching the, uh, the handle to the bathroom without right. some kind of something or other in your hand. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because before all of this happened, um, you know, I, I would tell people all the time that aircraft are, are not – sterilized. They're, they're not clean cleaned on the overnight cleans. They're, they're swept out, trash is removed, some things are wiped down, some things are not. And it, it, if you could ever take one of those, you know, those CSI lights or whatever they do on a murder scene and, mm-hmm. and flash it against the wall, I mean, you would just freak out. And especially if you're anywhere near the lavatory, because there's just germs everywhere. So, you know, before all this, if you were sitting next to me or behind me and you were watching me fly, I, I like the aisle seat. And my wife, many times, uh, Sherry would grab an alcohol wipe. She would wipe down the tray tables, the, the entertainment screen, as well as the armrests of, the, of the, where we were seated. Mm-hmm. And if we went to the lavatory, you know, we would take one of the napkins and open up the door to get in. And it, not because you're being a germaphobe, but it's just because of the fact that these things just are not cleaned as much as people think. And that you couldn't, uh, you couldn't pay me to dig into that seat back pocket because yeah. those magazines have so much. I mean, it's just it's it's really a science project for germs <laughs> if you wanted to dig in there. Now, look, a lot of that's been removed. Airplanes are being cleaned much more than they ever have been. I did that because I didn't want to catch the flu, something that would cause me to lose my voice for a week or two. Mm-hmm. So that that was something that I was doing to protect my my professional you know, life of things, because if I get a cold, I do a lot of things on the radio. Look, I can teach my students how to train or trade stocks over the computer. That's okay. But, you know, what are you going to do with the, you know, 40, 50 interviews a week you have? So I I was always taking those precautions. Even though now the airplanes are being sanitized, those tips are still worth following. Be very careful. Use, you know, use the sanitized wipes, the alcohol wipes to, to wipe off the the airflow and what I don't care if people look at you strange they shouldn't especially given these days yeah um, because uh, again many people did that before all this coronavirus stuff hit and I would like to think that airlines will continue cleaning as much now as they have been it won't happen once we get back to normal they'll have budget cuts and they'll cut back on some of the cleaning so it's going to be incumbent upon us to make sure that our travel space is as clean and, and sanitary as, as we can make it exactly Exactly. All right, Jay. Well, thank you so much. Love talking to you. And uh, I always learn so much from talking to you. You've been listening to Wheels Up, our podcast about airlines and airplanes. I'm Mark Robertson. If you have a question or a comment for Jay, you can shoot me an email. I'll be happy to ask it in an upcoming episode. Uh, My email address is markrobertson at iheartmedia.com. And Jay, thank you again. Always my pleasure, especially when we have fun topics like these. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Never a shortage. And thank you for listening to Wheels Up. (laughs) 
amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 